Hiya, listeners, and welcome to The Bookish Narwhal. This week, I got to chat with an author I'm blessed to know from my personal life. She started out as my mom's colleague, but quickly grew to become a mentor, inspiration, and friend. Beginning over 60 years ago with one mother's dream, Linen Chest has remained a family-owned, proudly Canadian business with over 35 locations across Canada. You'll find an amazing selection of quality products because we all value quality and having something no one else does. Shop for everything from bedding to home decor to dinnerware. Paired with excellent customer service, my personal favorite is the price guarantee. Linen Chest stands by their in-store and online pricing for a full year. So if you find the same item at a lower price anywhere else within 365 days of your purchase, not only will they match it, but they give you an extra 10% off the difference, no questions asked. Until October 31st, save up to 70% on thousands of clearance items at linenchest.ca. You can also shop their online exclusive sale on now until September 30th. Save up to 75% off the regular price of select items. For promo codes, links, and more, please visit my link in bio on Instagram or in the show description. Tu Fuang's debut collection of poems called Coming Home is autobiographical and oh-so-moving. Listeners, please join me in welcoming this 12 out of 10 human, my friend, Tu. Your collection of autobiographical poems, Coming Home, was published in May of last year. So how has the journey been for you since it's been put out there in the world? Oh my goodness, that's the, <laughs> that's that's a huge question to start with. But um, <laughs> I guess over the, like, the past year, I think towards, I would say the last six months, I've been able to enjoy it a lot more in terms of just kind of relishing it. And um, I think the most energizing aspect was being able to do some author meets, like virtual author meets uh, within the classroom and just seeing how uh, readers from, you know, the target audience is, I mean, it could be for anyone, but in terms of an education (laughs) lens, it was more for uh, like middle school to high school. Um, Not that younger children wouldn't understand the concepts. I mean, those themes are pretty universal, but it was really interesting to zoom into classrooms and get different perspectives from um, students. I mean, educators as well, but it was really neat to get um, the student perspective on it in terms of like uh, immigration, identity, uh, refugee, um, all, all those major themes. I think the first six months of it, it was so surreal once it was published and it was such a personal, I mean, it's, it's a it's a personal story and also a balance between, um, you know, how much I wanted to share, but also respecting my family's boundaries as well. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, it wasn't like 100%. I could just, I mean, I did pour my heart into it, but, you know, in the back of my mind, um, just always thinking about my family and how much uh, how much they wanted to, to put out there as well. So over the past year, yeah, it's been it's been a roller coaster, but you know it's been really it's 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 been super positive, and um, you know it created the website, 
and it's mainly for educators, but it's got some resources and things like that. But um, so I've been working on that this summer. And it's kind of neat, too, again, because when I created it, it was more just a starting point. So I had like, you know, classroom conversations. But, you know, that's that's so broad. Right. It's basically just starting points. And it's up to basically the teacher or the educator within the classroom to get to know their students. Right. And then tailor those questions. And then over this past year, they've been, um, you know, they've been generous enough to to give me some feedback so that I could add or revise some of those classroom questions and tweak some of those themes. So yeah, it's been it's been um, it's been a really amazing journey so far. I can't believe I just said the word journey. It's such a <laughs> I find <laughs> educators love that word, but yeah, it has been a great uh, it's been a great experience so far. <laughs> Do you remember the moment you realized that penning this collection of poems was something that you wanted to do? Um, It sort of happened, um, I guess, sort of organically. So I'm going to I'm going to rewind during the pandemic. So, again, I'm trying to play like I'm just trying to put a timeline into things. But I'd say I think eight or nine months into the pandemic. I had written an essay about women in educational leadership. And that sort of got me back into writing, you know, and then also during the pandemic, I always kind of felt like I was stuck in this rut where I was just writing emails. I'm like, come on, I can write more than emails. (laughs) But so um, I think that's what sparked it. uh, That, that essay thinking about, um, you know, women in education. So it wasn't just women, um, but, but, you know, through through that reflection, I thought about, you know, my life personally and professionally. And, um, of course, within that essay, uh, I talked a little bit about my mother. And so that essay was published, and I kind of just left it. And then, um, again, in the during the pandemic, I just wanted to get back into this, to this creative space. So I contacted a friend of mine who is the illustrator of this book, Alejandro Contreras, and we had worked on another project together a number of years ago. And so it really was when I when I uh, contacted him, I just said, listen, I just, you know, I feel like just writing something creative, but I, I was drawn to writing my story because of that essay about women in educational leadership. And then what do you, how do you feel about just, you know, doing a couple of, uh, you know, illustrations and it'll just be like a side creative project for us, um, you know, because at that time, lockdowns, were like, you know, everything was in place. So it was just we had Zoom meets or Google meets. And um, it wasn't until about six or seven months into the project that we were able to meet face to face. So it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of bizarre, kind of wild. Um, yeah, so that was, you know, that's how it sort of happened. I never thought I was going to write a book. So through that conversation, with Alejandro, I just asked him, you know, like, how do you feel, you know, like in the background, if I did a little bit of research on some publishers, and then I um, um, had, I've, I've been on Twitter, or now it's X. I made some really cool connections. And a, a friend of mine connected me with one of her colleagues who had just published um, a book, a children's book, through EduMatch. And so when I, I went on to EduMatch's website right away and, and our vision, our philosophy, all those things, they sort of aligned. So I just, I kind of stopped my research there and uh, submitted a page out of the book. And within three days, three, four days, they got back to me. So it happened really quickly. Um, but yeah, I guess everything happens for a reason. So 
Uh, yeah, so the essay was intentional, but the book sort of, you know, kind of was born from that essay, if you will. That's amazing. So yeah. why did you choose a collection of poems versus something like a memoir? Um, I think at the time, I think just the style that I prefer, that I enjoy reading. Mm -hmm. um, and then so it's just, it's free verse. And that's how I like, that's how I like to write. That's how my thoughts and my process. Um, and that's, you know, I was really into uh, Nair Wahid and Rupi Kaur. And so that was just at that, at, you know, at that time, that's where stylistically, where my mind was at. And even like, you know, eight months um, since the beginning of the project until, or sorry, yeah, about eight months until the first draft, I think I could have um, rewritten it and rewritten it and rewritten it because they were just moments in time. And, you know, life, life happens and, and you change and people around you change. And I think I could have even revised or added or whatever, um, you know, more poems or more moments in time, if you will. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably enjoy reading. So tell me, do you want to indulge in unlimited ebooks and audiobooks for less? Try Kobo Plus today. I use Kobo Plus Read, but there are two other subscription options available for you audiobook lovers. Each plan comes with a 30-day free trial for new subscribers and gives you access to over 1.3 million ebooks and over 10,000 audiobooks. It's perfect for those of us who find joy in a growing library. You can read on any Kobo e-reader or with the Kobo app, and you can listen with the Kobo app or on select Kobo e-readers. Find links in the episode description to get started on your free trial, or send me a message to find out more. One thing you write about is the resilience that you experience settling into Canada. And it's something that I personally found really brave, especially when for some families, they choose to assimilate entirely. So why was it important for you for that to be a big part of the story? Um, okay, I think there are multiple layers to that. Um, I think I'm going to start from the professional piece is um, what when I started teaching so my first year, uh, they had a program within our board called and um, tip, which is the new teachers induction program. Anyway, so there was, you know, mentorship and networking, all that to say, I, I vividly, I remember walking into, I remember walking into that boardroom and it, it just never, it never really sparked me as a, maybe as a student, I didn't think about it too much, but as an adult, my first year teaching, walking into this, this room and I'm super excited about, you know, starting my career and I just came back from teaching abroad as well. And then I just realized, oh, my goodness, I'm the, I'm, I'm the only racialized or at least visibly <laughs> um, educator in this room. And, and then right after that um, networking session, I had a lengthy conversation with a good friend of mine and colleague. And I said, wow, like, I guess I never really thought about this. And I, I've always made it a point from the beginning of my career to make um, or at least try to create this space um, for students because, you know, for me, representation matters, you know, and, and if they don't see it, then, you know, and, and not just see it, but see racialized um, individuals in 
in success stories, right? And yeah. so that was really that was really important to me. Um, and then through again back to that essay, and then going through my first year teaching, um, then I, I guess I started to reflect a little bit more about um, me as a student within a system. You know, teachers were really phenomenal for the most part, but those are individual relationships and in supporting me. But as a system, um, you know, structurally education, like we're, we're working on it, but it's, we're not, we're not there. We can talk about it. A lot of it's right now, I'll be honest, it's still performative, but for some people it's just, or, you know, it's weird to start. Right. Um, but I think we do have to start somewhere. Right. And hopefully that of course, you know, it's important to lean in and listen to, um, you know, to, to voices and especially those marginalized voices, but then, you know, on the flip side, it's really important that people do the work themselves, right? It's not just, okay, lean in, listen, you, it, oh, it's, uh, you know, it's May, it's Asian Heritage Month, can you lead a session? <laughs> okay, so, you know, so you want to go kind of beyond tokenism, right? Yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, so for me, yeah, and then so what, when I was thinking about that, I'm like, yeah, I guess I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't see myself in the things I was learning, like I was learning at school or the texts I was reading, or even at the beginning of my career teaching, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, you know, the, some of the textbooks look like they were from the 80s. And then I'm just like, <laughs> you know, so it's really important that um, for me, uh, that students make a connection or see themselves in the learning. And that started, um, I guess, uh, being kind of much more aware or fully aware of that, um, that first year teaching that was that was, um, that was such an eye opener for me. Yeah, I fully agree. Representation yeah. is so important, especially the visual representation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's one thing to talk about it, but to actually see it really yeah. solidifies it. Because right. like you said, like growing up, like I had amazing teachers and things like that, but I had a majority of white teachers. You know right. what I mean? Like right. there weren't many teachers who looked like me. It wasn't until I moved to the Toronto area where I actually started seeing okay. more people like me and actually started meeting more Trinidadian people. Right, right. So I think we've just learned, um, at least I have anyway, you know, to code switch, right? And so you can be your authentic, like you can have multiple selves, but you know, you don't want to, you can negotiate it in a way that it's not detrimental to how you feel. Like you still like, you know, a sense of belonging is being who you are, being authentic to who you are, right? And I think it's really important that, you know, again, this book is my journey, but those themes, it's really interesting to kind of listen to and read about how readers connect with the, the themes, you know, and, and you don't have to be an immigrant to, to connect to those themes, right? Or a newcomer or whatever. So you could be a first generation Canadian and still connect to those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything you decided to edit out of the book? Um, I don't think I edited. I don't think I edited anything out. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, no. To be honest, it was more around the interviews. It was because the time it was released. Um, I think I got a lot of um, invitations for interviews, including, you know, the CBC, Ottawa Life and all of that. But I wanted to um, give my parents the space and time to read the book as well. And actually, you know, gift it, gift it to them because, you know, 
um, their their resilience and their and their courage and what they what they sacrifice. You know, it's it's part of you know my my gratitude and, and not gift to to them per se. Um, I do I absolutely appreciate everything they've done um, and where I am today. But um, yeah, it's just a journey for me, but also yeah for for them as well. So I wanted to give them time to to read it um, because how the book started, it was never my intention to really get it published or think it would get published. So I was just like, okay, I'm just going to write freely. So, you know, um, you know, having read the book, you can read each poem individually or read it from beginning to end. It does follow like a sequence, but it does, it's not like a beginning to end story. Um, so I don't think I edited much out. It's just kind of free flow, but I could, I mean, those are 30 poems. I'm, I'm, you know, when I finished writing the book, I was 42, right? I, <laughs> I could have added many more moments, but I think for at that at that time, it just felt right in terms of the content and and, and the length. <laughs> I love how organic that was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> just play on words. I like I like play on words. Whatever it, it's for me, um, I just always have my my phone on me. So whenever um, that's just how I write. So as soon as I something comes up it'll just could be three o'clock in the morning you know two o'clock in the afternoon I'll just write something down and that's how those those poems were sort of um, yeah they, they, they took form <laughs> in your work you explore your past you contemplate your present and you simultaneously move forward in a journey of courage forgiveness and healing so was writing this collection a cathartic experience for you and if it was how so I think absolutely you took the words right like it was absolutely cathartic um because I never really um I guess took the time to kind of reflect and put all of these thoughts on paper I think um having finished writing the book and finished writing that essay I referred to earlier um yeah I just I, I think I just had so many so many emotions and so many thoughts come to mind and so much I don't know. It was really overwhelming. Um, but the healing is, I mean, you know, the, the cultural piece, there's a couple of poems where I reference, um, you know, so being a teenager is one thing. It's already a tough time, right, for both yeah. parents and teenagers. But, you know, kind of um, living living and negotiating those two worlds. You know, I had my my home life, which my, my parents are which I'm grateful for now, <laughs> were very traditional and tried to instill, you know, language and uh, maintain that at home. Um, but then there's also, you know, the the me at, outside of outside of the home. So at school and trying to figure out who I was too. So, you know, there's, there is some resentment, some anger, some hurt, all of those things. Um, but it took me, you know, it wasn't even just time, like being away. So teaching, you know, overseas, Sometimes, you know, things are right in front of you, but because you're so like, you're right there, you don't appreciate people. You don't see the details like, and that's, that's it. Sometimes you have to step away from the situation to actually see, see the details. And um, yeah, like I, I can't pinpoint how it sort of happened, but I think that a big piece was just reflection and writing about it and just putting it down, whether it's out there in a published book or not, but just write like putting it on paper and actually you know, reading it out loud and having those conversations uh, with myself. You know, there's a lot of, um, I think a lot of, I've done a lot of inner work to sort of change that 
exterior narrative, if you will. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that answer because me personally, as a reader, as I was reading it, I could really feel like I honestly felt like it was a cathartic, cathartic experience for you. So I really wanted to ask the question to make sure I was like catching the right vibes from it. No, absolutely. <laughs> All vibes. I was like, am I reading these vibes right? It's the kids and say. Try to keep it young and hip. <laughs> It's sad when I realize I'm closer to 40 than 20. I'm like, oh my gosh, man. You have to keep it young and hip. Imagine, what do I have to do? I'm like, I'm trying so hard. My the students, my the students keep me young and hip. They're always like, Miss, have you heard of this? I'm like, do I want to know? <laughs> they keep me on my toes, that's for sure. That's yes, for sure. he comes home. He's like, You'll never guess what the teen boys are telling me. I was like, the world is changing. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Do you love jewelry, especially pieces made with heart in a home studio? I really do. So let me introduce you to Syrian Stone. They're a jewelry company located in the beautiful mountain of Pemberton, British Columbia. I first met Siri through a mutual friend in the post office parking lot of said mountain town. And I had just moved to the area with my husband. And Siri was instantly exuding warmth, positive vibes, and really made me feel more at home. This was three years after she taught herself some, as she would say, basic silversmithing skills. But basic my behind. Inspired by nature, all Syrian stone jewelry is made from recycled 925 silver and only 100% natural gemstones are used. I'm talking about carefully cut and polished semi-precious stones from all around the world. You can also find pieces that are 18 karat gold plated and in a variety of earrings, rings, bracelets, and necklaces. Made for the modern day adventure seeker, these organic designs celebrate imperfect beauty. For promo codes, links, and more, please visit my link in bio on Instagram or in the show description. And we're back. Yeah. Oh, and we're back. <laughs> so did you have to push past your own boundaries of vulnerability to really achieve the final product? And what did your writing process look like for that? Um, yeah, for sure. Like the boundaries piece. Um, yes. Um, I mean, I, I grew up in a very uh, conservative household, right? Very traditional um, but again, it's, it's living both worlds. Um, but so I've learned to, to internalize a lot. Right. So but through that, I think I've also learned to reflect quite a bit, you know, but I'm very selective in what I want to reflect on. Right. So, yes. <laughs> I mean, reflecting can be really hard. It's that, that, that was the whole beginning piece, right. It's when you're trying to, you know, deconstructing memory, like when you're trying to piece things together, it could be, you know, it can really move you forward if you do it in, in a, an authentic and honest and raw way. But it can also, um, you know, it, it can also conjure up a lot of emotions, right? So, um, yeah, so for, uh, I'm, I'm really, I think, I think it's just been the summer, I don't know what it is, but um, the reflection piece is, it, um, I think you really have to take the time and honor that, you know, the, the reflection, it, it just, I don't know, it's so hard to sort of capture that in words, but 
Um, it's given me a focus in terms of um, thinking about, you know, who I am, what I stand for, and um, like just being true, being true to me. Female authors, authors of minority, and many more have been notoriously underrepresented in the publishing industry since its inception. So what has your experience been like? Because you chose to write under your full name instead of like a pen name or using initials, for example, for your first name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still held back a little bit too. And I just read an article from another author of um, Dust Child. And she talks about uh, the different diet, um, the accents and how in Vietnamese it changes the meaning of different words, right? And so even like one of the poems I actually write my name the way it's meant to be written, right? And so, but on the cover, on the cover of the book, I I didn't. And I actually only thought about that sort of, I don't know, towards the end, but it was it was kind of, um, I don't know, I was just trying to think, well, all my life I've spelt my name with just like T-U without, without the accent, right? And so, um, yeah, and that's, I guess I'm right now, I'm a little bit more comfortable with that, but um, yeah, there's always a piece of you that, or this piece of me that you, you know, because it, you're vulnerable, right? Especially when it's a, when it's your own journey story. Um, so yeah, I mean, whether you think about it or not, and I think subconsciously I was, as much as I was reflecting and writing, there is a big piece of me too, that was, you know, still had some, some walls, right? Um, and it's, it's my, it was my first book and maybe my second book, or if, if there's going to be a second book, I'll, it would be a completely different writing experience and, uh, what I choose to put out there. But, um, yeah, there's always going to be a piece that, uh, you know, you kind of just wonder, hmm, should I put that out there? Right. And that's just, uh, I don't know, fabrication of, uh, that's just like maybe na- nature, nurture, environment, um, your surroundings, but yeah, for sure. As you mentioned, You're also a teacher and an advocate for newcomer families and students. So do you find your experiences in these positions and with these students influence your story ideas? Oh, for sure. I mean, there are a couple of poems um, that reference, um, you know, why I'm a teacher today and, and, you know, the, the content that, and the experiences and the skills and the strengths that the students bring for sure. Yeah. So through, again, when we, we talked about um, earlier about, you know, reflecting and thinking about how I didn't see myself in the learning space and, you know, really trying to intentionally create that space for students. Um, First, like when I'm writing this or when I wrote this, um, definitely there were, there were parts, especially in part three, um, where I thought about, the students and what I've learned from them. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not just one way. Right. And I also thought about myself and the students being in a system. Again, we still have a lot of work to do, but you know, we can only, if I can create that space for them and, and this is just one text, right? This is my story of writing, but bringing in other racialized authors who, um, you know, where they can, where the students can see themselves in the curriculum and hopefully one day, um, not just see themselves in the curriculum, but I like to say that they are the curriculum because, you know, you don't want, you don't want to have the space and bring them in. You want to 
you want them to be the space and the, like they are the resource, right? You're looking at them. If you just ask them a question, there's, there's your writing and there's your discussion piece right there. And they bring it, you know, more than any, more than any textbook, more than anything else. If you just ask them a question and take the time to get to know them, but at the same time, and that's where the writing piece comes in is that, you know, being, um, you know, being self-aware and checking your own biases, then hopefully that would sort of transmit or transcend into the classroom, right? So if students can see that you're being your authentic self, I mean, you're still, you know, a teacher in that role, but there's always that, you know, power dynamics and stuff like that. But if they can see for the most part that you are, um, you know, at, at your best trying to be who you are and bringing in different resources that, um, where they can see themselves and connect and learn about others. Um, I think that's, that's, you know, that's the best you can do, right? So share your story, be your authentic self so that they can, um, you know, model that vulnerability, if you will, you know, model that joy, model it for them so that they know um, that it's a safe space that they can respond. Um, however, however, they are comfortable responding. Amazing. Oh, I'd love to be in your classroom. <laughs> what were you like as a student? <laughs> oh, very disruptive. Very disruptive. Very disruptive. I love the chat. I received the Kobo Libra 2 as a gift from my mom, and it totally changed my reading game. I was getting migraines from too much screen time and needed a solution. The 7-inch HDE Ink Carta touchscreen is always glare-free and Comfort Light Pro's adjustable brightness and blue light reduction tech limits eye strain. It helped enable me to read more by not aggravating my cluster headaches. Score! That isn't even the best part though. It's fully waterproof so you can read in the bath or at the beach with ease. It has buttons for when you don't feel like tapping and you can read in landscape mode or listen to audiobooks. It even holds up to 24,000 ebooks, 150 Kobo audiobooks, or a combination of both. Find links in the episode description to purchase a Kobo of your very own or send me a message to find out more. <laughs> My token final question. So what is your favorite dessert? <laughs> Really? <laughs> so you know what? Lately, it, it, I mean, I'm always going to say ice cream. <laughs> Love it. But lately, I discovered I've been making lemon posset. And it's just like, I'm not a baker. And so lemon posset is like the easiest dessert you can make. It's literally three ingredients. And I and it's such a refreshing summer dessert. So that that seems to be my go to this summer. I've made it like seven times already. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to try it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, with I, I, of course, three if, with three ingredients, I had to add. You know, I'm like, okay, what if we added a little brandy and a little lemoncella? And then, I, you know, I had to experiment. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so there you go. So the it dessert right now is lemon posset, but always, always gelato or ice cream. That's my go-to. <laughs> yes. Have yes. you been to Stella Luna's? I have. I have. It's like, oh yeah, they're they so they have some award-winning flavor there the chocolate like they like there was a competition and they won it I think it was in Chicago it's like this dark chocolate and they added like some sort of liqueur in it um I haven't been in a while um but yeah just because so many other new places have popped up but yeah 
Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I'm totally going to have to go. I didn't even know she had a location. I just saw her cart at the bridal show. Yeah. Oh, years yeah. ago. And then when we yeah. moved back, it was like Stella Luna Cafe. I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, look at her go. <laughs> and if you if you totally want to go old school, like retro vibes, um, go to uh what is it? The Mary Dairy. And it is frozen. I mean, you know, I like the different flavors, but my go-to, I love as much as I love pistachio, that's my go-to. Vanilla is <laughs> so they have frozen vanilla and different flavors. But I'm telling you, they started out, you know, little 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 truck, and I would I I I had the app on my phone, and I would it was called Track the Truck. I'm like, where's where's where is she today? So every day, this is like ten years ago. Now they have you know an actual shop um, on Fairmont. I think it's at the Fairmont, uh, the corner of Fairmont and. Whoa, Gladstone. Anyway, so I was like tracking the truck for years. I'm like, where is it today? Where is it today? But now you can actually go and they, um, yeah, wom- you know, woman-owned business, super successful. But if you want to go total retro, there you go. Um, yes, perfect. Yeah. My custard place in Toronto was a Trini food truck that I literally <laughs> track on Twitter. I was yeah. like, where are you going to be today? <laughs> and what about you? What's what's your go-to this summer? Honestly, cake. Always cake. I <laughs> really? love cake. Like chocolate cake, birthday cake, or just honestly, all, kinds of all cake. cake, but like a really good chocolate cake is awesome. And I'm one of those people where when I go out for dinner, I'm like, can I see your dessert menu, please? I'm going <laughs> to eat my dessert first because if I'm going to not have room for something, it won't be this. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, next time you're in Ottawa, which isn't far anymore, <laughs> it's literally just a drive, a short drive. You got to, you got to check out some frozen custard. (laughs) Yes. I'm totally going to. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking. Oh my God. No, thank you. I I really appreciate the invitation and, and just connecting with you like on a personal level. And yeah, this, and this has been fun. It's just like. It's been so long. It's been too long. Yeah. (laughs) COVID made everything too long. Yeah. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the day. It's supposed to be, I'm looking outside right now. It looks beautiful. Um, I'm, I'm never going to complain about the heat, right? But it uh, looks pretty hot out there right now. But Oh my some- gosh, it probably is. I live yeah. just on the Ottawa River. And when the sun was coming up this morning, it was so red. It looked yeah. like Armageddon in my yeah. library. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, it's going to be hot today. I better go yeah. find some shorts. Yeah, no. I, it started last night. The sky was just like on fire. It's like, what's going on? But, yes. uh, oh, that must be that must be such a beautiful view to wake up to every morning. Oh, right? so what, nice. what a way to start. What a way to start your day, right? right? And like our, <laughs> we have a side where the Dockart Creek comes right by our property. So we put our boats in of the creek and it just opens up into the Ottawa <laughs> River. It's so nice. Mm. That's really nice. That's awesome. That yeah. Awesome. My poor husband, though, I started feeding all the wild animals and now we're a wildlife friendly habitat. <laughs> they learned, they learned wildlife Federation. <laughs> I paid 15 bucks for the sign, stuck it into a stuck it into one of those branches and hammered it into the ground. Oh, like, yes, no. <laughs> eat the animals. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> DIY. That's it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, that's like, it. I can do this. Once you have it there and once they start coming, that's it. You can't just, you can't, there's no turning back. <laughs> that's what I told him. I was like, see all my friends? I was like, my chipmunks wait for me for their peanuts. Like, I can't <laughs> let them down. Aw. 
All right, my dear. Well, enjoy the rest of the day. Always nice seeing you. And um, always. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can find Two's book coming home via your favorite book retailer online or in store. Learn about her work and more online at C O M I N G H O M E T U V U O N G dot com. Next week, I'm taking a break, so there won't be a new episode until September 29th. I started my new day job and need to get in that groove again. My husband ended up launching his art career this week, so be sure to check that out, the artsy beluga. And I can't wait for the next episode. Yay for monthly wrap-ups! But I do have some amazing author interviews coming your way. I'm talking Chantel Gurton, Rachel Dove, Kelly Farmer, and so many more. So stay tuned. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Bookish Narwhal podcast. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I hope you continue to join me and have a wonderful week.